Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, I hope I get this name right, it's Victoria Rivolo, Rivolo, I think is her name, she lives in Long Island, and um, in 2005, she was actually nominated for the most inspiring person of the year. And what had happened is she was driving her car uh, to her niece's voice recital when she passed a car driven by 19-year-old Ryan Cushing. Cushing was riding with five other teens. They had just stole a credit card and had gone out on a shopping spree. One of the purchases they made was a 20-pound frozen turkey. They decided it would be a good idea to toss the 20-pound turkey into traffic. It came crashing through Victoria's windshield. And amazingly, she survived. It took 10 hours of operation. Doctors repaired her face as it crashed through the windshield. She finally went home. She had a tracheotomy tube and endured months of painful rehabilitation. October 17, 2005, Victoria attended Cushing's sentencing, and she asked the judge for leniency. In part of her statement, she said, Despite all my fears and pains, I have learned from this horrific experience and have much to be thankful for. Each day when I wake up, I thank God simply because I'm alive. I sincerely hope that you have learned from this awful experience, Ryan. There's no room for vengeance in my life. I do not believe in long-term hard prison would do you, me, or society any good. Cushing, who wept and expressed remorse for his actions, was sentenced to six months in jail when he could have gotten a 25-year sentence if Victoria had not intervened for him. She went on to add, I truly hope that my demonstration of compassion and leniency that I have encouraged you to seek an honorable life, if my generosity will help you to mature into a responsible, honest man who is gracious and is a resource of pride to those, uh, to your loved ones and to your community, then I will truly be grateful and my suffering is not be in vain. Ryan, prove me right. No wonder why she got most inspiring person. Possibly she should have got it of the decade. It's incredible. That is a picture of mercy. And I want to minister a sermon I've called Mercy Me out of a familiar portion of text to most people, even if you don't know your Bibles. But we're going to look at it, and I think the truly the way Jesus meant it, and not in the way many interpret it. One day it says in verse 25, An expert in the religious law stood to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus replied and said, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanting to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling down from Jerusalem, down to Jericho, when he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothing, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. And a temple assistant or a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. And despite the Samaritan, uh, and then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. And he put the man on his own donkey and took him into an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed him to the uh, innkeeper two pieces, uh, two silver coins or two denarii, which we'll talk about in just a moment, telling him, take care of this man. And if the bill comes higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now of which uh, now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And Jesus said, uh, and the man replied, rather, uh, Jesus asked that question. Then the man replied, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This word compassion in verse 33 means to be moved in the bowels, literally. We would use the heart. It's the pity. It's the seed of both pity and love. Mercy in our text is used. It has to do with kindness, goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted. Join with the desire to help. Let's talk firstly about a generation without mercy. Because this is really what we live in. The thought here, the problem is that people, they claim to have compassion, but they do very little. And over and over in the Bible, we're told that mercy is something that not only God should have on us, but we should have on others. This can be lost in Christianity in a number of ways. And that's what I want to really look on. I know selfishness and sin will destroy any kind of compassion. And we'll leave that for the people who aren't here. The first mark of people who are without mercy, usually are very legalistic and very hard. This is a mark that they have. They will tolerate no blemish or struggle. They do not, I'm not talking about justifying sin. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm just struggling with my third, you know, adulterous affair. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you violate the rules, if you somehow do not live up to my standard, we have, we have ways to deal with you, you know. 
James 2, 8 through 13. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law. As found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people as over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the law, except for one, is, guilt, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For if For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not commit murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. And whatsoever you say uh, or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown others mercy. But if you have been merciful, then God will be merciful when he judges you. So here, as we could learn from Victoria, she, which is extreme, I, you know, uh, you know, I've been insulted, hurt a little bit, never had a turkey thrown in my face and had 10 hours of surgery for that. That's an extreme, but yet the thought here is she says, you know what? The rules are fine. The rules, we need rules. We need society has to have rules. But mercy allows people to be people. And again, I'm not talking about blatant sin. But can we forgive others and let things go? Matthew 23, 23, what sorrow awaits the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe on the tiniest amount from your herb gardens, but you ignore the important aspects of the law, justice, law, that's my boss, law, mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. What does the law say? You know, it's interesting they didn't bring the guy caught in adultery. It's always a mystery. He writes in the ground probably other issues that they had. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but we know that from the oldest to the youngest they left. We don't know if that was because he was absolutely going through the list. Or if the older people went, no, nah, this ain't working, I'm out of here. But the young kids stood there and they're still going to be zealous. We don't know. It's not that we don't judge sin. But in judging sin, can we leave room for restoration? Can we leave room for God to help? It's interesting that Jesus uses a Pharisee religious teacher of the law and a Levite, a servant in the house of God as those who pass by and can't be bothered. It's very interesting he uses that. Others are simply performance oriented. We heard a little bit about this in Sunday school about prayer meetings where everybody would just stand in a circle and pray and some people they they that scared them to death and other people they this is my opportunity give me that microphone and performing 
for others. But performance, again, leaves no room for mistakes. No room for personality flaws. I have a strange like. I actually like, and I don't recommend this to everybody, but I actually like Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxies. And one of the things he does in that is uh, there's a robot making shoes. And one of the other robots is complaining that the shoes are too too small. And he says, no, your feet are too big. And the robot says, oh, I guess so. What you know?" And he says, remember what we do to complainers. We eliminate them. K-I-L-L, eliminate them. Some people, that's their whole mentality. They're so critical, cynical, bitter. If they don't, if you don't rise, you have to be eliminated. K-I-L-L-E-D, eliminated. Matthew 18, Jesus talks about the unforgiving servant. He's owed about a hundred denarii, about four and a half months of salary. This would be tens of thousands of dollars in today's. This is not just a few bucks. This is not just a, you know, a value meal at McDonald's or something like that. But he won't forgive. He's going to hold it against them. Matthew 9, 13, 11 through 13, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And Jesus, when he heard this, he replied, healthy people do not need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want to show mercy, not sacrifice. I have come to, uh, to call not those who think they are righteous, but to call those who know they are sinners. And then you simply have people who are too self-absorbed. Life is all about them. I, 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 my son has been working at NASA. And so we've been talking a bit, a bit about different things and astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy fascinates me. And I, I love the fact that we orbit around the sun and there's other planets and, you know, there used to be nine when I was in school. Now there's only eight. Pluto got downgraded and, you know, uh, and, uh, but, you know, one of my favorite is Saturn. It's fascinating with all its moons and its rings and it's just, you know, uh, amazing there and, and Titan and, you know, uh, it just fascinates me. Just, I, I love it. I won't bore you with it any longer, but I, it just, that fascinates me. But one, why do I want to say about that is that it took astronomers a long time to figure out the earth revolves around the sun not the sun around the earth. And it takes some people a long time to learn the earth and the world doesn't revolve around you. People who are so self-absorbed, they can't have mercy. 
James 3, 15 through 18, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such are earthly, uninspiritual, and demonic. For whatever there is jealousy and selfishness, ambition, self-ambition, you will find disorder in every kind of, uh, and, uh, evil of every kind. But this wisdom does not come from above, or the wisdom that comes from above, rather, first is pure, is also peaceful, loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And so here, self-absorbed. So we can see the legalist, the hard, the perfectionist and the self-absorbed, they can't have mercy. They, they're not able to grasp that. Jesus then begins to tell this man, he comes with the interesting question, what must I do to have eternal life? Or we could rephrase that just a little bit because the terminology wasn't yet in the vocabulary of the, of, of God's Christendom, if you will. What must I do to be saved? And he says, how do you read the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Great. But then wanting to justify himself. Now, why does he want to do that? We don't know. Was he legalistic? Was he hard? Was he self-absorbed? We don't know. Then Jesus tells this parable. Now, many hear this parable, and there are lots of organizations. If you do a search on Samaritans, you will find things like Samaritan's Purse. This is uh, 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 Franklin uh, um, um, Graham's ministry to uh, send shoebox gifts around the world with letters and tracts and to poor nations and, and uh, you know, things that have been hit with disaster, such as, you know, uh, we have Florida, the hurricane that ripped through the, the panhandle. We have uh, Hawaii and the fires. We have Mali and the earthquake now. Uh, Iran recently had an earthquake. And so they would do good works. Their AAA for a while sponsored trucks. There's some around here that are on the highway, they will stop and help a, a flat tire or someone who's run out of gas or has had their car overheat or something like that, uh, where they will stop and help them. And uh, sometimes with even no charge, they'll, they'll help uh, an individual who gets stuck, especially in, in rush hour, they'll they pull over the trucks. I'll see them occasionally as I'm driving to and from prayer. They'll be out there during the rush hour time to help. And people would call that a good Samaritan. And in their mind, it is simply human to human. Just do some nice works for somebody and you're a good Samaritan. But Jesus has been asked the question, Eternal life. And if it was simply about being a nice person, 
then why would he have to die? So there's a spiritual side to this story that I believe Jesus was trying to get at. Verse 30 of our text, and Jesus replied, a, man, a Jewish man was traveling from, the, uh, from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. If that's not a picture of the sin and the wages of sin that destroys people. Think about the three things that he mentions. They attack him. Sin starts really innocent and, you know, benign, if you will. It's like, oh, this will be fun. This will be expanding to my life. I'll have an experience. This is what some of my friends who were into drugs used to try to tell me, oh, you need to try this drug. That experience will open your mind. Same guy who told me that took that drug and was a cricket in the corner for three hours. And I said, no thanks. Right? That experience will... And then it attacks. Sin is not neutral. Sin attacks. It binds. It it strips of clothes. Leaving you ashamed. It's a picture there of losing dignity. Most of us got up this morning and put a little thought into what we were going to wear. Some more than others, obviously. But, you know, it's, you know, that's a joke, by the way. But, you know, right? You put some thought into it. There's dignity. It beats you up. It drives you. It hurts you. And then it leaves you half dead. So, yes, in one sense, this is a you should be nice to other people, and Christianity has a measure of that. But it's really dealing with a picture of the spiritual world in which we live. People who are beat up, half dead, stripped of dignity. Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. Jesus said the thief's purpose, John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. My purpose is to give give them a rich and satisfying life. Here are two religious people. Adam Clark says of these, the priest and the Levite mentioned here, partly because they were frequent travelers on this road, partly to show that they were persons from the nature of their office were most obligated to perform works of mercy. And from the person in distress right there, uh, expected immediate uh, uh, comfort and help, but their inhumane, inhumane conduct here was a flat breach of the law. 
Another commentator says the two mentioned here are supposedly uh, returning from the temple duties. Titles and positions in the kingdom of God do not mean you have compassion. Were they too busy? I'm too busy. It doesn't take much to look out and see humanity stripped of dignity, beat up, and half dead. I'm on a mission, though. I'm on a mission. I mentioned seeing a lot of other missionaries. When we got to Lithuania, there was a, there were a very small group of Christians in, in Vilnius, American Christians that had gotten together and the previous pastor had gotten involved and, uh, there was a lot of children, my children's age at the time, and so, uh, we formed a school together. We would be with them. And one of the, one of the people who were there, they, they were so bothered by sinners. He was there. He was working in orphanages. He was bringing over, uh, humanitarian aid, used clothes, and he'd bring them over, but he was too busy bothered to be bothered by sinners. I was with him one day and he's just, this guy doesn't understand English and so he's just, complaining about him. I'm like, dude, I don't know if you noticed, but we're not in Kansas anymore. We're in their country. How can you expect them all to speak English? Lots of them did, thank God. Maybe they didn't want to get involved because it would be messy. I mean, you're going to get blood on your clothes. This guy's naked. That's embarrassing. Maybe he thought it served him right. Jericho to Jerusalem was a road known for bandits. Known for people who create their own toll system, basically. You either pay or you don't go any further. Maybe they thought about all the problems it would create for them. I don't know, but they just simply ignored. The priest didn't even look back. The Levi looked, but he kept going. See, I believe that Jesus was talking not so much just about stopping to help somebody with a flat tire or push them out of the road or whatever, and I have done my fair share of that. Especially in Lithuania. Cars would break down. I remember one person was broken down at the entrance to a rotary, a roundabout. And my son was still with us. My daughter had moved to Holland, but my son was still with us. And uh, so we stopped. And we'd carry a tow rope in the car. that was, I just So I towed him out of the intersection. Got him onto a, into a parking lot. And he said to his wife, when, when we stopped... She said, he said, watch, they're either going to be Americans or Germans. He did not expect his own people to stop for him. And he was right. Some people don't stop, though, because they know it's going to cost them. This was going to cost him. In verse 34, 
going down, the Samaritans soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. This is going to take time. This is, he, this, you know, you don't, this isn't going to just take a, a minute. This is going to take some time. Wherever he was going, now he's got to be di- interrupted. There's got to be personal contact. You don't put bandages on through social media. You don't put bandages on through just a phone call. You have to actually have personal contact. Oil and wine are pictures of the Holy Spirit. They were also minor, minor antiseptics. And soothing It's what people need as an encounter with God. They need the Spirit of God to visit them and help them. And that often comes through contact. It says in verse 34 that he put him on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. I'm sure he's thinking, I would prefer to be riding the donkey. I bought the donkey so I could ride him and get through this quickly. Now I've got to put him on there and now I have to walk. It's going to cause comfort. I'm sure this man didn't think, I'm going to find somebody to help today. Wasn't in his agenda. If you looked at his agenda schedule for the day, or as the British would say, schedule of the day, it wasn't there. 9.30, Meet with so-and-so, 10.30, head out for Jerusalem. 11 o'clock, come across a person who need. 12.30, get him checked into the hotel. 1 o'clock, finally make my 11 o'clock meeting. I'm sure that's not what he wrote in his... It also cost him money. He gives to the innkeeper. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins or two denarii telling him, take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher, I'll pay you next time I'm in. A denarii was a day's wage. To put it in perspective, he hands over about $350 to this guy. He says, if it's more, I'll come back and pay it later. He's making an investment. Remember this. Always remember this. Someone made an investment in you first. One of the great things of celebrating the 40th anniversary is bringing back pastors who made investments in you. People who have mercy and are willing to pay often are people who have had and remember the mercy that was given to them. Think about the, just the cross alone. What Jesus did for us. And involved in this too is a long-term commitment. That he's saying, I'm going to come back and if there's more expense, I'll take care of it. Acts 15.36, and after a long time, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Without long-term commitment, it's not effective. 
And so we can miss that side of the parable by simply making it about fixing a flat tire or going shopping for an old lady who lives next door. Which are not bad things, but I don't think that's fully what Jesus was talking about. So then the man who asked the question, the original question, what must I have to do eternal life? He asked the question, which we all need to answer, who is my neighbor? If I'm to love the Lord thy God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and my neighbor as myself, who's my neighbor? I could say, it's Steve, and it's Don. And out back is Tony. I could do that. Those are my neighbors. But he mentions that this is a stranger. The despised Samaritan. He had to overcome prejudice. He looked, this man, you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And yet this is the man to help. Can you see the struggling? Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens and in that way you obey the law of Christ. Can you see someone who's in hurting, in need? Not leaving you like you were? Some churches will just leave. They won't deal with sin. Let me just say this right here. They just they won't deal with sin. Ah, oh, you're born again. You're lying. You're cheating. You're stealing. no problem, man. Just keep you know come to church. And I understand new converts for a while, but is that really fair to leave them the way they are? It really isn't. Oh yeah, they're committing adultery, but we won't. We'll just look the other way because that you know hey. They'll figure it out. No, they won't. You got to deal. You leave it. You can't leave people like they are if they're hurting. Could you imagine a car accident happens? The you know the EMTs show up and they went, "Oh yeah, they're bleeding." Okay, bye. Wouldn't be fair. They're left to die. We leave people in their sin, we're doing them no favor. Titus 3, 4, and 5, when the God and Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of our righteousness, things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And again, you receive mercy. It was, it was Judge LaGuardia who would go on to be the mayor and eventually have an airport named after him who also, just for useless trivia, built a bridge in Prescott, Arizona which has his name on it. He was a judge one night in night court. A poor woman had showed up and uh, he was in the poorest ward, he, and uh, 
he did, oh, he was, I'm sorry, he was mayor of the city at the time. He dismissed the judge and took over on the bench in one of the poorest wards of the city. In one case, an elderly woman who had been caught stealing some bread, this is 1935 in the midst of the Depression, to feed her grandchildren. LaGuardia said, I have to punish you. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. The widow broke down crying and and said, I don't have ten dollars. And I can't really let my grandchildren be alone for ten days. That's not going to work. So he took off, a, he took a hat and he threw ten dollars in it and then he fined everyone in the courtroom fifty cents for living in a city where a person had to steal bread so that their grandchildren can eat. Passed around the hat, paid the ten dollars, and the woman left the courtroom with forty-seven dollars and fifty cents. That's mercy. I love what Victoria said to Cushman, don't prove me wrong. You and I have been showed mercy. Let's not let God be disappointed in that. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 1, since we have received this uh, this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. Jesus then tells the parable and he says, you go and do likewise. Again, issue of eternal life. As you have been given mercy, can you show mercy? As you have been granted by God mercy, could you have mercy on others? Matthew 5, 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will show mercy. Uh, they, for they will be, I'm sorry, they will be shown mercy. A high school player, his mother had died on the day of a game. And I, I can, I can say kudos to this. I actually, my, the day my father died and the next day we had a meet and I actually didn't go to school, but I did show up to the team event. He came to the, to the basketball game, but he was late. And the other team knew what, what had happened. And he said, coach, I want to play. I just want to go on. I want to play. I want to get in there. The coach knew that putting him in the game would result in a technical foul because he was late. And so the other team would get two free throws. He asked, knowing the situation, he asked the other team to refute the, to refuse to throw the free throws, but the officials insisted. So the coach asked, for a volunteer to shoot, and the captain of the other team raised his hand. And he went up to the free throw line, bounced the ball, looked at the net, and threw the ball about two feet. Bounced on the court, shot number one. Second one went about a foot. And the game resumed. These players showed 
kindness. I don't know the result of the game. It didn't probably change anybody's life. But that did. But that did. Mercy is not leaving people hurt, beat up, and continuing in their sin. Mercy is allowing God and being an instrument for God to help them to get out of their sin. Some people don't want to. Right? They're, they're going to be like Nikki Cruz, right? They're going to tell David Wilkerson, get away from me, man. Right? What shall I do to have eternal life? Go and do likewise. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this, this morning and you're not right with God. Not saved, not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants to visit you. He wants to help you. He wants to bring mercy to your life. That begins with you firstly accepting the mercy that Christ wants to give to your life. And as we are here this morning, I have the question, are you right with God? Do you know Jesus Christ in a personal way? If you do not know Jesus, it would be our privilege to pray with you and to pray for you. If that's you, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I'm not a Christian. I need Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. Or maybe you're backslidden away from God and you want to come back to Jesus. Quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. Anyone at all. I believe this parable has its measures of helping old ladies across the street and doing good things. I get it. But I believe what it really is more of spiritual understanding. Sin leaves people stripped dignity, half dead, and hurting. And we have a responsibility of those who have been showed mercy to bring that mercy to others. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars while people talk to God. Find a place to pray.
thank Him this morning. Father, we love You, God. We glorify You and love You, God. We adore You.